0: There is no health without mental health. Hi, welcome to Beyond Madness. I am your host, Professor Christopher Paul Sabo. I'm a psychiatrist, and this podcast series features psychiatrists in conversation with myself discussing mental health issues, issues that affect our society on a daily basis. Emotional issues can affect you or someone in your life at any time. The intention of this podcast series is to give you a better understanding of psychiatry. Beyond Madness is proudly brought to you by Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave. Now, on today's podcast, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Alan Howard. Now, Alan is not a psychiatrist, but works closely with psychiatrists. And I've come to know Alan through his work related to the use of ketamine within a psychiatric context. And obviously, that's the topic of today's podcast, which also includes a special guest, namely one of Alan's patients who shall be known as Norma, not her real name, but she's agreed to join the conversation detailing her journey, and we are most appreciative of her willingness to do so. Now, Alan, as I said, is not a psychiatrist. He is, in fact, an emergency physician who returned to South Africa at the end of 2019, having worked as a consultant in emergency medicine in Donegal Island for, for 12 years. He founded the Ketamine Clinics of South Africa in August 2019, He's president of the Society of Ketamine Practitioners of South Africa, and he's also a member of the American Society of Ketamine Physicians. Alan, welcome, and thanks to you and also to Norma for making the time to join me in discussing what I think is a very important and interesting therapeutic development in the field of psychiatry, which is essentially the repurposing of an established anesthetic agent as a novel psychiatric treatment. So, Alan, I'm gonna start out with you. Could you give me some background as to what ketamine is, And how we kind of moved from anesthetic drug, which it remains, and certainly in my personal experience when I was in the old South African Defense Force as a national serviceman in my medical bag, was ketamine for use in an acute emergency situation where one might need to perform a minor surgical procedure under field conditions. So can you give me a little bit of background to this agent, this drug?
1: Certainly, Christopher. Thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, the ketamine story actually starts way back in the, in, in the late 1950s, 1950, 1956, uh, when a substance that was known at that stage as uh, CI395 or chemical investigation number 395 was discovered by someone called Harold Maddox, an organic chemist in Michigan, and it was known as chencyclidine as and it was marketed by Park Davis as and on the streets it became known as PCP or Angel Dust. So... As you may have gathered, it wasn't a very good idea at that stage, and it, it created enormous problems for the for the police force certainly when patients or, or people are completely unmanageable and very pain and uh, showed slow psychotic behaviour. So that was quickly confined to the strategy. until 1962, when Professor Stephen Calvin B. Stevens, also an organic chemist. Tinkered with it a little bit and he developed an analogue called uh, CI-581-gen-became-hamisketamine. And a couple of years later, in 1964, this was trialed on a couple of of prisoners in Michigan. And uh, that was by a fellow by the name of Dr. Domino. And they experienced out-of-body experiences and profound analgesia. But there were none of the severe side effects that uh, the thermal or the phencyclidine had had a few years previously. And because of this kind of dissociative uh, experience that they went through, it became known as a dissociative anaesthetic. And shortly thereafter, it was approved in 1970 by the FDA for use in all ages. It was found to be very safe. And uh, used extensively during the Vietnam War on the battlefield. Uh, And certainly since then, and to this day, it remains probably the most widely used dissociative anaesthetic agent procedural sedative particularly through the third world but also we were using it an awful lot in our emergency department in and that's when when I first began to realize the profound effect that it has on, on patients mood.
0: So what's interesting to me you wrote a piece for South African psychiatry in early 2020 and there's a specific clinical experience that you had and I'm looking right now at these sort of graphic photographs that the patient consented to you providing for publication with the article. Do you just want to walk us through what your experience there was that kind of got you into understanding where ketamine may fit in to specific clinical situations that relate to psychiatry? Yeah, well, there have been,
1: um, Christopher, there have been a couple of sort of seminal um Cases or experiences that I had with patients at an emergency position that certainly caught my attention in terms of the effect as on mood. And this particular lady was a fifty-year-old, profoundly suicidal patient who we see frequently with deliberate self-harm and you know suicidal behaviour. And she would act out fairly um, aggressively on these uh, suicidal impulses that she had. And um, the psychiatry department at the hospital I was working at uh, had effectively washed their hands with her. There was very little they could do for her to everything. And on a particular afternoon, she came in having attempted to slit her own throat. Well, she actually did slit her own throat, as you can see from the photograph. That you
0: Absolutely. It's 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 pretty graphic. Yeah.
1: Yes. It was a, I suppose one would say it was a high lethality of intent in that sort of situation. Yeah. Anyway, we were able to to repair the damage in the emergency department under ketamine and brought her back a week later for follow-up. and the difference in her was was quite profound, and that's when I read I started to get very interested in uh, in ketamine for for resistant mood disorders, specifically depression and suicidality, and did a bit more research and uh, came across the ketamine Clinic of Los Angeles which was started by Stephen Mandel, uh, who's an anesthetist. but he also uh, had a background as a psychologist as well, and had a look at their protocols and decided this would be something really worthwhile looking at and bringing back to South Africa. So that was the sort of turning point for me when I decided that we needed to do something about this.
0: So what's interesting to me is that although there wasn't existing literature, it probably wasn't extensive, and certainly serendipity seemed to play a role in your interest in the possibilities of ketamine in the acute situation, given what had happened with this patient, would you, would you say?
1: I think so. Yeah, there were a couple of others where it played a role. So, you know, just very briefly, I happened to a few psychiatrists to our new back, back home here in South Africa, in KZN, in Midlands, midland. And there was a lot of interest expressed in seeing how this would work for their treatment-resistant patients. And that's how it started. And it, it's subsequently grown quite exponentially. We now have four clinics across the country the provinces. Yeah.
0: So the place, because obviously when we introduce a new drug into the repertoire, one wants to position it. And so it seems to me that ketamine, certainly intravenous infusion of ketamine is finding its place in the acutely suicidal patient or are we talking about the patient who is potentially treatment resistant to various courses of antidepressant medication?
1: okay well I think that you know that's a very good question and I think more and more one is starting to see that the role of ketamine in, in suicidality, whether the patient has been deemed treatment resistant, from a depression point of view or not. And in fact there is literature out there that is suggesting that suicidality need not necessarily be associated with with typical uh, major depressive disorder at all. It can exist independently of it. Right. And you know, there is a, a very interesting article that came out in November last year in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry from Columbia, which is actually showing rapid improvement in several cognitive functions in patients who've received ketamine and linking that cognitive improvement to reducing suicide risk not necessarily with the concomitant reduction in in depressive symptoms so yeah there's a couple of angles that one can look at this but i think using ketamine as a as a rescue strategy in an acutely suicidal patient before instituting more traditional treatments is starting to gain more and more traction as well
0: So that's really interesting because obviously in in, in psychiatry, the acutely suicidal patient is always of major concern in terms of observation and ensuring that there is no harm that comes to them. So we're starting to see the addition to the uh, repertoire of drugs that we can use. But obviously this needs to be undertaken because we're talking about the administration intravenously of what is fundamentally still an anesthetic agent, which happens to have, as one of its effects, the ability to rapidly reverse suicidal ideas and intent. So how does one bridge that gap between a drug that is able to do what it does but needs to be administered in a certain way and under certain conditions? So can you give me a little bit of background as to what those conditions might be, clinical conditions in terms of delivery of the drug?
1: Okay, so I mean, what what you've touched on here is is essentially a a dichotomy really between the anesthetic discipline and the psychiatric discipline. And ketamine to be used effectively, um, we do need input clearly from both disciplines. So on the anesthetic side, that is really where we have the the focus on on patient safety. And the South African Society of TASA has become involved in that. Last year, I think it was in March, they released a statement on ketamine patient infusion in which they pretty much insist or strongly recommend that it's only administered by people with or doctors who have experience in um, in anesthesia um, and particularly airway management. Now, that said, ketamine is a very safe drug from an airway perspective. Air uh, protective reflexes remain intact, patients who are given ketamine, so it is very safe, but mm. it remains associative anesthetic. You know, so what I'm looking forward to is having a lot more input from a startup, for example, um, on, on setting out guidelines from a psychiatric perspective, which is what i tried to do when I formed the science Academy getting in and, uh, last year. Um, nice. But from several psychiatrists as well. And we're doing his research at the moment uh, in conjunction with um, the with, with professor of psychiatry from covid
0: so just to be clear, the SASOP, we're talking about the South African Society of Psychiatrists. So yeah. obviously, this is a, a situation where two disciplines need to come together to yeah. work out standard operating procedure where nobody steps on anybody's toes, everybody's working together. And ultimately, what is most important is that patient safety is at the core of our deliberations and obviously successful outcome. I mean, this, this happens already, for example, when we deliver electroconvulsive therapy, where we have the anesthetist involved in administering the anesthetic. We have the psychiatrist involved in delivering the electroconvulsive therapy. So the collaboration between anesthetics and psychiatry is actually not novel. It actually already exists. And so my question is, is intravenous ketamine an alternate to electroconvulsive therapy under specific circumstances? Because certainly electroconvulsive therapy also used for treatment-resistant depression or for intense suicidal intent and ideation.
1: Yes. Yeah. So you've you touched on something that's really fascinating because, you know, one's talking about, about chickens and eggs and, and you know, putting horses parts and that sort of thing. So Fine. So in 2017, um, there was a, a meta-analysis done that was published in European Neuropsychopharmacology, which actually said that there was a significant treatment effect of add-on ketamine anesthesia in ECT therapy in depressive the patients. So the question is, what is doing most most good? Was it the ketamine or the ECT? And Carlos Zarate, uh, who actually wrote a seminal paper on ketamine in 2006, that's when it really first hit the headlines, has actually suggested that there's not a significant difference between ECT with ketamine and ketamine alone. I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't um, detract from the, the utility and the value of ECT, but it's difficult to kind of unravel where the, the benefit is. But there's plenty of evidence that using ketamine in ECT as, as part of the anesthetic protocol definitely does
0: improve the outcome. So that's fascinating because, I mean, what we're talking about is what's the key therapeutic intervention? Is it the ketamine being used to induce anesthesia to deliver the ECT, the ECT or the ketamine or the combination of both? So, I mean, that's a question that will obviously be answered in the time to come with more refined research. I suppose one of the big issues, well, there are a couple of issues that I just wanted to touch on briefly. First of all, as with any agent drug, we need to know about side effects. So, what are the potential consequences of uh, ketamine infusion? Are there any side effects, any concerns that one should have uh, by virtue of using ketamine?
1: Okay, so, you know, in the doses that we use, which are very small doses over a 40 minute period, when if, if any side effects manifest that are of, of any concern, the infusion can be discontinued. Uh, but there are a few reasonably common side effects that are not. First would be would be headache. Uh, patients not not that often, but occasionally complain of a headache, but not, not simple analgesia. Nausea would probably be the commonest side effect that we see from the ketamine infusion. You know, there's there's recent um, studies that have been done looking at whether or not ketamine generally can unmask psychotic behaviour in undiagnosed schizophrenics, for example, or whether patients who are, are or bipolar, particularly bipolar one, whether it can unmask mania in them. And recent studies have suggested that in fact it doesn't do this. But traditionally, we're always very cautious about not giving ketamine to patients with any underlying psychosis or, or potential to develop mania.
0: Someone asked me whether it has any impact on epilepsy or whether it can precipitate seizures. Is that something that you've necessarily seen or understood?
1: No, so there there, there are a couple of myths that have recently been debunked regarding ketamine. And in fact, even in the emergency medicine, ketamine was always avoided in patients with head injury, for example. Um, That has been entirely debunked and it's been shown that ketamine actually has neuroprotective properties. And in certain types of epilepsy in children, ketamine is now being used to treat this and it can actually be used to keep status epilepsy as well. So, highly unlikely to precipitate epilepsy and in fact
0: has a neuroprotective function um, as well. That's important to understand. A question which I think would probably occur to most people is, Fine, if we use intravenous ketamine in the acute situation and we remedy the suicidal ideation, clearly whatever treatment they were on which got them to that point might not have been working effectively, what happens after the infusion? How many infusions can one have? And what is the relationship between a positive response to infusions and what happens in the follow-up situation to keep the patient well? Because clearly for me, that means there must be an active collaborative relationship between whoever is delivering the ketamine and the psychiatrist who would potentially have referred the patient or be treating the patient beforehand.
1: Absolutely. So one has to look at the various roles of ketamine. Can play. firstly, as a as a rescue agent in an acute suicide crisis, where typically in seventy to eighty percent of patients, one will see a person with suicide ideation within about four hours of the infusion. But the duration is reasonably short; it's seldom more than about a week or so. So, our typical protocol would be six infusions over two to three weeks, usually over three weeks and then a maintenance protocol after that. And to understand the rationale behind that, one has to understand a little bit about how ketamine actually works. And it works by causing a, a glutamate surge, glutamate being the most common um, excitatory neurotransmitter, particularly in the limbic system. But the more that one encourages this surge to take place, and the longer that one can keep levels of synaptic glutamate up, the more likely one is to get a more lasting remission from the symptoms rather likely, effectively causing long-term potentiation of these, of these neuronal circuits and pathways, specifically in the, limbo, in the limbic system and prefrontal cortex, uh, cingulate gyrus. There, you know, There's a lot of research that's done on this. And the other interesting thing about ketamine is that they've demonstrated uh, neuroplasticity and synaptic genesis. So there's actually a research of, of these neural pathways that have been damaged by chronic disorders. So there is a requirement have a series of infusions, which usually um, uh, takes a patient to about six infusions over three weeks, followed by maintenance, or what we refer to as top up infusions, um, every few weeks thereafter uh, to maintain remission. Not that the traditional monoaminergic agents are not used concurrently, they are wrong as that, you know, in the third nerve agents as well, but certainly we find most of the remission is maintained on, on a maintenance protocol.
0: So I think what's important is that we're moving beyond norepinephrine and serotonin into glutamate. Alan, I yeah. think that we've covered a very important set of issues in relation to ketamine. And at this point, I'd like to bring in Norma, who is someone who has actually undertaken a ketamine infusion. And just to hear directly from her what her experience has been, and just to try to understand her journey to that point. So Norma, nice to have you with us. You've obviously listened to the conversation between myself and uh, Dr. Howard. And so my question to you is, can you give us a brief background in terms of how you got to ketamine and then obviously to understand your experience and how things have been since you began this journey? So over to you.
2: I suffered from depression for many years, over a decade, and it seemed like the medications that I was taking were no longer being as effective. Um, and I had, I wouldn't say suicidal thoughts, but mm-hmm. mostly thought of worthlessness and nothing to look forward to into the future. What? Um And so the medication that I was currently on and it's still on, um, had put me in sort of a numb state of mind where I'm just sticking along, but, uh, not having, uh, you know, excitement or looking forward to the next day per se. Um, and this brought me to the Ketterman experience, which was proposed by my psychiatrist. And, um, I did the six weeks and, uh, from, I guess, the second or third infusion, I felt a lot different about myself and just my day-to-day experience as a mom as well. Um, I wasn't just getting out of bed to feed my child; I was getting out of bed for myself, for a change. So that was that was definitely there was definitely a, a mental boost in just a general interest in life.
0: So it sounds to me that ketamine came in at the end of a, a lengthy process of use of medication that was taking you to a certain point, but not really enabling you to live a full, meaningful life in terms of pleasure, enjoyment, enthusiasm, thoughts about the future in a positive way. So you had been, in fact, on medication for, for, for quite some time and possibly different types of medication. I'm, I'm not sure because we didn't, I didn't ask you. Before you got to ketamine, and this was something that was determined between yourself and your psychiatrist, so there was a collaborative discussion around where to from from here would that be would that be correct?
2: Yeah that's absolutely correct. Um, we tried various combinations of medications, and I would get better and store, and then I would get better and store and then um she then uh, my psychiatrist yes recommended after many years uh, of seeing her as well. that maybe it was time to, to do something different. And we discussed it, and yeah, I got on board.
0: That's very important that you had that kind of discussion because obviously you were stepping across a certain line into something novel. And of course, now we're talking about an intravenous infusion. Someone's got to stick a needle in your arm and give you an infusion of, of, of medication. What was your, what was your thinking? What were your expectations when that was the discussion about where you could possibly take it?
2: Um, my expectations was I had full trust with my doctor. I guess we had had many years, uh, of, 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 walk, walk, walking this journey. Um, but I, I can say that there was some concern from friends and relatives that I would not be taking drugs intravenously. Uh, there's a little bit of stigma associated with that, sure. I think, and um, the danger element of having um, somewhat more powerful drugs in your system intravenously, right. um, directly into the system. There was a bit of concern about that, but... Um, my 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 psychiatrist really put me at ease and quite frankly I I, I felt I needed the help. I was like getting nowhere fast. Yes. And um, needed to feel this relief um, and it definitely delivered on that.
0: So you can look back on the journey that you've that you've walked and including the intravenous ketamine and as you look back you have had an experience that has really enabled you to reclaim, um, your life in a way that is making it more pleasurable, more meaningful?
2: Absolutely. I would say, um, I'm much more conscious. I'm much more deliberate. I'm uh, a lot more clear minded about what I want for my future. And, um, it's a less foggy life experience. I'm not just trying to. Make it from one day to the next day. Um, so definitely, I would say definitely improve my quality of, of life and, um, and my mind, you know, and
0: spirit. Well, that's very important. I mean, quality of life is, 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 is actually key. So just to be clear, you've continued with medication, um, post, okay. And you've been able to retain a sense of wellness notwithstanding the fact that you've now stopped your course of ketamine, you came to the end of that, you continued with the medication. So it always feels to me as if the ketamine kind of took you to the next level. You've been able to retain that position together with ongoing uh, use of medication and obviously ongoing consultation with your psychiatrist.
2: Yes, but I have also been taking the top-up infusions. Infusions. infusions yes, every monthly, I would say. Or I'd have one session at least monthly. And uh that's just when I start to feel myself shifting backwards. And I feel like okay, now I'm not feeling like I'm shifting and moving into a darker space. And right. uh once once I recognize that yes. um once I don't wanna get out of bed or I don't wanna eat or I don't wanna not do normal things, then I, I, I call it the clinic and book myself in
0: for a session. Okay. And so once you've had the infusion, how quickly does the change take place where you start to feel more on top of things and that your motivation is returning, your energy is better, your focus is better? How long does it take from the infusion for that to happen?
2: I would say it it takes... Probably about a few days, a couple of days. Yeah. The first few, were, you know, were quite. I think close together, and I was in a mess anyway, so I can't really tell you yes. exactly how long it took. Sure. Um, but definitely within a few days. So by the time I had done my first week, by the second week, I was feeling like okay, this this might really work. Right. Actually. So it is quite rapid in its in its action. I I would say. Compared to
0: medication, to, yeah. Tell me something in terms of negative effects. Have you had any experience of, of unpleasant side effects or anything that might cause you to question whether you would take the agent again? Has anything like that happened?
2: Um, no, I have not. I just the only effect really that I've had is, of course, after the treatment, not being able to drive and all of that. So okay. That was fine, and before I embark on a treatment, I have to abstain from eating for about six hours or something. Okay, but otherwise, nothing. After that, I just go home and have a really pleasant sleep, and the next day, I pick up and carry on. Yeah.
0: So, Norma, I've I've really appreciated your willingness to to share, and I certainly wish you all of the very best. I think you're the first patient that I've spoken to. Who's given me a first-hand account of their experience of uh, using ketamine as an infusion, and I'm going to turn to Alan just to close off. I mean, obviously, Alan, you've been listening to what Norma has to say. Are there any final words from from you?
1: Well, thank you to to Norma for agreeing to share her story. I think it's something one has to sit up and take notice of, as you suggested earlier. Just it's a uh, it's it possibly the, the future of management of treatment-resistant depression and suicidality, simultaneously reducing the receptors rather than the sort of traditional mono approach. Yes. But saying in MRP, is that we could you know get a, a synergy and a symbiosis between the disciplines of psychiatry and anesthesia, uh, as you as you mentioned with the ECT, that does the here, the anesthetic. But so, Um, we could, we could very well, you know, forge a future ahead between the two disciplines. And I'd like to focus on doing that for the interest of, uh, you know, for the sake of the patients that can benefit from, from the treatment.
0: Absolutely. So I think that that is a key take home message. So I think for the audience, I mean, the aim of today's podcast was not to promote an agent or a service, but simply to inform. And as with any therapeutic intervention, a key element is informed consent. And trust. So remember, there is no health without mental health and I hope today's podcast has shed some light on this emerging treatment option in psychiatry. I am Professor Christopher Paul Sabo and this is Beyond Madness in with Atcock Ingram OTC sponsors of Brain.